Turn with me to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where I want to start today. I was noticing in this letter that Paul writes, he mentions the will of God for us in Christ Jesus specifically. He tells us what it is. and it's, All of us are after the will of God for us individually as a body and whole. And he just kind of gives an insight into what it really looks like. And there's a lot of instruction that would be really good to go through, uh, but we're not going to go through all of it uh, because I really I want to kind of target uh, just a couple things in this that are connected. Uh, when the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not food or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, there is a way to receive that. There's things that the Lord has us to agree with Him so that we can have that, so that we can, in the same way that the disciples, uh, they got a taste of what it was like when they were walking and talking with Jesus and seeing how He handled things, and then they were coming into, uh, you know, what understanding that they could without having the Holy Spirit on why Everything Jesus did was so different. Why he he saw every situation, he saw it completely different than they did. There wasn't any situation that Jesus ever was in that he was without hope and was not aware of the ability for uh, the unlimited resources that he had at his disposal to fix whatever the problem was. And so, in chapter 5 of Thessalonians, I'm kind of going to jump in the middle here. Uh, notice verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. So, God has designed us, he destined us, not for wrath, but to obtain salvation, so that to the end, we can be with the Lord, whether we are, happen to be on this earth or whether we're not. The end is that we can be together, we can live together with him. We're not waiting to die to go be with the Lord. We get to be with him all the time. And it's, uh, Sandy had sent me a section of a book that I really, really liked where that was the emphasis at the, I guess at the end of a uh, statement was that he was making is that you, you get to have this. You have, because of what Jesus has done, you get to have fellowship with him. You get to know that he's always there. You get to walk and live as somebody who has been brought back from the dead and is no longer a slave, but is a son. And you think differently, you pray differently, you see the people around you differently. You see yourself differently, and it's because you understand God did not destine you to be destroyed. He destined you for salvation so that you could be together with him. In verse 11, 
Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. And so those two things are linked. A lot of the times when uh, we're given an instruction, it's a co-labor that we do with the Lord. You know, we, we have things that we can say that we've learned in our own experience and walk with the Lord to encourage each other. We can help build each other up and use the gifts that we have. And it's God who causes the growth. All, all he's looking for is for us to see things the way that he does so that we can then agree with him, agree with his uh, intention, which is always kind and it's always only good. So we think about that to encourage one another and build up one another. Sometimes it's just, you know, a simple matter of reminding one another of the promises of God. You know, you do that when you pray. Amen. You, you, that's one of the things that God wants us to do is to remind him of his promises. Uh, it can seem kind of strange sometimes because we know he, he never forgets anything, but he still tells us to do it. So there's got to be an effect on us that it has reminding him of uh, his promise. I'm sure the target really is for it to be in on our minds, in our hearts. And, you know, we I had kind of mentioned before that statement about the ones that are going to come to God. They must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. So if it's that important, then you're also, you, you're, you're aiming at the reward. And so the reward is not just like, I'm just going to uh, be in heaven forever. Like there's specifics. Jesus was talking about how like he longed to eat the Passover with the disciples. And he said, I'm not going to do this again until it is fulfilled. And we will. We'll have a table. We will share a meal together. There's going to be, there's like Blake was talking about the specific gifts that he has. Like there's a stone and there's a name on this stone that only you know. And just the Lord gets specific is what I'm trying to say. And he does that because of the effect that it has on us. We have to be able to visualize those things so that our faith then is much stronger. So we encourage one another and we build up one another just as you also are doing. So it's, it's something that you're going to do as a practice. But we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. You know, it's that scripture that I love so much in Isaiah 35 where, you know, it says to encourage the faint-hearted, to, to remind them that God is going to answer the prayer, that you, you, are, you are willing to be in agreement with them for it. And then all the things that follow that uh, are only, I mean, it's, it's, it's only allowing God to then bless in the way he wants to. So we admonish the unruly, we encourage the faint-hearted, we help the weak, we be patient with all men. See to it that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. 
So um, just as an aside, this isn't the point of uh, why I was reading this section, but since we're here, being a Christian does not mean that you always only care about the good of others. Uh, what the scripture says here is that you are to seek good for one another and for all. That's what's healthy. That's what's correct. We are sacrificial and we do bear with one another, but it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be balanced enough to where it is good for everyone. So here's the verse, verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, three things. God's will for us is immense, but there, there's some specifics that Paul gives here. You can rejoice always, otherwise he wouldn't tell you to do it. Oftentimes what I've seen and what makes sense to me is that there will be the ability to do it made manifest when the step is taken. If you are, if you're given the command to rejoice always, it means you can expect you're not going to feel like that most of the time. Otherwise you would just be doing it out of habit. So Paul has to write to, uh, you know, a mature church here in, uh, with the Thessalonians and tell them, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. So joy is always a choice. It is always available. I heard somebody say something really good that was like, don't ever forget how powerful an individual God has made you because you are always within reach of joy. You have that ability. Most people who live in the world do not. But because we have the Holy Spirit and because we have the promise made clear to us that by the oath and the promise, we know there's two unchangeable things. God is always good, only good, and he cannot lie. So what he has promised, he will always be faithful to provide. So that in and of itself, if you're, if you're making it your habit to take your joy back up, which is what rejoice means, to do it always, that will allow you to be able to do the second one is to pray without ceasing, to always pray. It's the, you know, the, the parable that Jesus gave where he's saying he gave them this parable so that they would, that they could see you always ought to pray and not lose heart. The way that you're not going to be able to pray without ceasing is because the heart is incorrect. And the reason the heart is incorrect is because loss of joy. And what happens is, you know, we, uh, we are excited to see God answer prayers when there is prayer with thankfulness offered up with rejoicing. Because you're, you then have expectation. It's not just you're doing the things that you're supposed to do and I have to pray for this and pray for that. And all those things are important. But uh, when it is born out of rejoicing, then it makes it to where 
the prayer with thankfulness is it's sustainable. You're able to do it without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, there's really not enough time to talk about just the, the practice of being thankful and what a strength that is. Uh, you know, there's, there's tons and tons of studies out there, even done by people that aren't Christians that just talk about the impact that just being, choosing to be a thankful and grateful person, like what that does to you, what it, what it does to your body, what it does to your mindset, how it is that you then interact with other people and the, the effect you have on people, uh, wherever you go, uh, that's one of the reasons why it is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. There is, in Luke chapter 9, I think, you can turn there. Uh, it's the parable, not the parable, but the, uh, the instance where there's been a multitude following Jesus, and it's getting late. And, uh, yes, it's chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. And uh, so the disciples, you know, they come to Jesus and they say, look, you know, we need to send these away so that they can go and find the things that they need, food and lodging. And I love Jesus' response. And I've been thinking about this for a long time because it's, it's, it's just interesting. Sometimes they were there when Jesus <coughs> fed a multitude miraculously, and there was no doubt about it. And he really just had them join with him in it. They just kind of got to experience it. But in this one, what Jesus says in verse 13, you know, because they're saying, look, we're, we're in a desolate place. They need to be sent away so they can go get the things that they need. And Jesus answered and says, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. So, you know, they're thinking like practically. It's like they're looking at what they have. What they have is not enough. And what they can do is not enough either. But the Lord was with them. And so I th it's interesting the way that Jesus kind of still has them work it out. He's, he, says, so he says, have them recline in groups of 50. So split them up. And then he says, take what you have. And uh, we're going to bless it, give thanks for it first, and then you go out and distribute it. And the food wasn't multiplied when Jesus prayed. It got multiplied when they were faithful to go do what it, it was an act of faith. If you know you have 12 men who are all given a little bit of five fish or five loaves and two fish, this very little that they had, and they have to walk out into a crowd. Of people. They actually had to do this. There's actually people that are looking at them as they're walking up with a little thing of bread and fish. But in their minds, the Lord said to do it. So obviously, uh, he knows what he's doing. And the uh, the increase came after... Thanks was given for the little that they had. Uh, oh. 
Oh. So, you know, uh, Jesus blesses it, gives thanks for it. They go out, and then they see. Uh, if you're faithful to make the act in faith, the ability to do what he told you to do is manifested a lot of the times. Uh, one of my favorite stories ever uh, is in Chronicles. Second Chronicles. In verse or chapter 20, uh, we all know this story. It's a story that means a lot to me. Uh, you had the sons of Moab and Amnon uh, are coming against uh, Jerusalem. And it's a huge army, great multitude. And uh, the response that they, that not just the king, but Judah as a whole, all came together to, it says, to uh, seek the Lord. So they, the response that they had initially was, was right. They saw the problem. They knew that's not something that we are able to handle because it's a multitude that's far greater than we are. Uh, and so they come together, it says, even all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat prays. And one of the things that I find is really interesting, and this is kind of what uh, reminded me on how God has us pray sometimes, reminding him of things. Because uh, he starts uh his prayer by asking the Lord some things. And in verse six, it says, O Lord, the God of our fathers, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Did you not? O oh, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to your descendants of Ab give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And it's just it is good to remind the Lord of these things sometimes and uh because it's just that I get the the effect that it has on us and it it also makes it easier for us to give thanks in advance, which is what uh as soon as they get the answer to the prayer by one of the prophets it's a very simple uh response it's just don't fear which is again i've probably said this a lot uh it's the number one mentioned command in scripture is not to fear so uh i think it's interesting that that's you know first thing he says this is what god says he heard he heard your prayer this is what he says, do not fear. So if you're, if you're in that situation, that is, that's, that's a very, that's a hard command to follow. Especially if you're, you're the king, you, you all these, because you know what happens when you lose a battle like this. There's going to be a lot of uh, innocent people suffer. There's going to be a lot of death. Uh, 
there's there's nothing good about it and so that cause is a great cause uh for fear for uh anxiety for you know the natural response that we have but what god says is don't fear and don't be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but god's and their response to that is to actually assemble themselves to worship the Lord. And then what they're going to do uh, facing this enemy is they're going, to, they're going to praise in front of them. I heard, I can't remember who it was. It, was, it, was a, it, was a, it may have been an author uh, that was talking about how like any times he, he felt like his joy was being hampered or maybe like the, the enemy was really working hard on him. He said he would get two chairs out and he would set one in front of him and he would sit down in the chair and he would say, I'm going to worship the Lord and you're going to watch me. <laughs> so there's something about uh, God preparing a table in the presence of our enemies for us. Uh, how their response was is they're just going to walk out to this multitude and just thank God in advance and worship him for the answer that they had not seen yet. Nothing had changed in what they were perceiving naturally. The only thing that changed is that they humbled themselves before God and they waited for him to answer. And once they got an answer from him, he, they reminded him of his promises and they they prayed with faith, and when God answered, that was enough for them. They didn't have to see it. Can you imagine if the disciples had done that, if they just waited? I want to see the food multiply before I go walk out there and look foolish. They didn't do that. It would not have happened. That's the agreement. And that's where, you know, we want to be people that, uh, you know, are experiencing the fullness of what it is to actually walk with God. We want righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit at all times. We want to be, uh, you know, walking hand in hand with the Lord above the things that are, uh, you know, these these uh, trivial things that try to weigh us down in our day-to-day lives. And in order to do that uh, on a consistent basis is the choosing to rejoice always in every situation you can always be a worshiper and you can always do it with unceasing prayer and with thankfulness so you i mean we all know the story that the enemies were then turned on each other uh, and they ended up having you know there was actual like it was reward that they didn't really fight for they just god just brought all this and they're after those enemies destroyed each other all there was left was to go pick up all the spoils and then just briefly in philippians So the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. 
is to rejoice always, to choose, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks. And in Philippians chapter 4, In verse 4, she can't talk about rejoicing without reading the scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. You know, the one of the things about commands like this, not only is it, it it's the right thing to do, but also Paul knows through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what this does to people. When you have a person who just chooses to stay thankful, bitterness cannot come in. It can't put down roots and then start growing out and damaging everybody that's around it. Because there's a refusal to allow that kind of thinking to stay. Because instead, you're just choosing to be thankful. You're choosing to rejoice. You're choosing, you know, one of the things that Jesus said that I thought was so uh it's, it's a staggering statement, but he says, your joy no one takes away from you. So if you, if you think in that way that uh, you have, God has positioned you such that it's not possible for joy to be taken from you. Now, we can lose our handle on it from time to time because of circumstances and things like that. That's, that's completely legitimate. And the Lord understands all that. That's why he says, rejoice, take it back up. Anytime you catch yourself in that mindset, it's, it's within your ability to, like the scripture says, to know the mind of Christ. We know his mind. That means that we can think the way that he thinks. That means that we can have joy in the same way that he did on the last Passover before he's going to be crucified. I mean, you're talking about not even a day later. Most of us would be so overwhelmed with the weight of that. It would not be, it just, it's not possible for a human to be able to do what Jesus did. But because he had that, you know, unconquerable will to just abide in the, you know, with the, with the, Holy Spirit resting on him. We all have the Holy Spirit, but with Jesus, it was always resting upon him. Uh, and in that frame of mind, you're able to rejoice in the moment. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And this isn't to say that we perform for people, but it should be obvious to people that you're different. It should be, uh, I remember, uh, I think Bill Johnson was talking about some neighbors that he had that came to him and said, you know, your kids treat you differently than mine treat me. And it was just a simple, it's just these were unbelievers and they just noticed it's a difference. There's a different dynamic that you have. Uh, you know, the way you, the way you treat people, the way you interact with people, uh, your forbearing spirit is to be known to all men. The Lord is near. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything. So whatever the situation is, what God says is, I want you to pray, and I want you to do it with thanksgiving. Rejoice, thanksgiving, and then prayer that's unceasing. Those three things, again, are mentioned all together. And one of the things that, you know, this kind of incredible statement that Paul just kind of fits in the middle in there is he says, the Lord is near. He's near. He's not far off. And it, it oftentimes seems, uh, it seems dark or it seems lonely or it seems, uh, you know, a hopeless situation. Or, but here's the thing. None of those things are true. In the, in, in, if God were not near, yes, it would be very true. You know, Paul says it's like before Christ, we were just without hope in the world. We're just held captive by the devil to do his will. We're just slaves. But we're not slaves anymore, so we don't think like slaves anymore. We are redeemed. We're children of God. We have within each of us the ability to do whatever he says we can do. And so, you know, the idea of rejoicing because you know the Lord is near is something that is... It's doable. Be anxious for nothing. You know, there's another scripture that uh, kind of always uh, tripped me up, uh, where Paul said, I think it may have been in Timothy, I don't remember, but he he said, "Don't fret; it only leads to evil doing." And that's one of those things that it's like you. It can be easier to not choose joy sometimes. It can be easier to just say, well, I'm not going to be mindful of God's promise in every situation. But the problem is, is it then starts to have an effect on you. And then what does it do? It leads to evil doing. So it is critical. You have to have joy. You have to live in that place. You have to stay thankful. You have to make that the battleground where it's just like, this is the line. It doesn't get crossed. Whatever it is that I'm feeling or thinking, I am not going to blame God for anything. I am going to choose to be thankful. I'm going to tell him I'm thankful. And I'm going to do, I'm going to do that until I feel it. I'm not going to wait to feel it to do it. But what God wants is he wants everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving us to make our requests known to God. And you pray and you keep praying. And the great thing about it is that we all know it's impossible for us to pray and nothing happen. Something will happen. May not always be exactly what we were thinking, but it will be the best thing that uh, God can do in that given situation. In verse seven, you do these things if you're if you're following this pattern. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The great thing about the peace of God is that you don't have to comprehend it. 
It does not require comprehension. That's what it just said. It surpasses all comprehension. It's actually bigger than all of that. So the fact that you don't comprehend the things that are going on is not that big of a problem. Uh, because the peace of God is able to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. doesn't mean that this stuff doesn't touch you now and then or doesn't have an effect on you. That's what the taking back up your joy and praying the prayers and using your faith and thanking him in advance uh, it helps to kind of reset. That's why the Bible talks about we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Why is that? We have the mind of Christ. Why does it need to be renewed? Because we still live here. We still deal with all the stuff that's going on in our, you know, our old way of thinking, uh, which gets, you know, we get better at, uh, we get better at using that mind of Christ that's been given to us. Uh, the more often we make that to priority, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, and whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. You know, it is, we are the ones who let our minds dwell on either the good or the bad. It doesn't mean that you're not aware of the bad, Um and it doesn't mean you just walk around like everything's fine all the time. That's not what that means. But uh, it is a choice what we let our mind dwell on. And if we start letting our minds, that, that was the difference with Jehoshaphat and the people that followed his example there in Israel. They saw the problem. It was a very bad problem. But then once they saw that the Lord was present and that the Lord had answered and the Lord had given his word then for them they were no longer dwelling on the problem they were dwelling on the solution dwelling on the solution can help you to actually accomplish the task that God has put in your hands so let your mind dwell on these things the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you and peace is, you know, it's not something that we're just born with. It's, it is something that we have to receive and walk in and treasure. And God protects it when, um, when we are in the position where he can. Uh, I guess now if, if anybody had anything to add or if there's any testimonies or anything, the floor will be open. Subjective versus the objective. What a big deal that is. It's like, man, I just listen to the subjective experience all day long, and that's what God, God's saying here. Here's an objective, mm -hmm. and that's what you need to be looking at here. Yeah. If you're looking about, geez, it's unbelievable how annoying that is, but you know, I know all these scriptures, but still, it's like one thing at work, a spill, it's like, okay, joy's gone, it's over. It happens all the time. It's unbelievable, yeah. but. 
I'm just looking at my subjective experience and really, I mean, just not believing God fully. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like the difference between being reactive and then being intentional. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I, that's one thing that I really loved. Uh, the way that Jesus would handle evil is he was never reactive to it. He just, he had his intention and uh, he didn't allow himself to get caught up. That's, you know, when you're seeing the temptation of Jesus, he's not, he's not going to play the game with the devil. He's not going to have to prove himself to him. You know, it's like, well, first of all, he's not worthy of that. And even if he did, like, what does that mean? It's like he is a, he is a defeated foe. So we don't get caught up in those things, that, like being reactive all the time, um, rather than being intentional. God called us to, to actually have, like, purpose. And, to, you know, those things are... They don't have the same weight when you think it in that in that way. You know, um, I haven't made a secret of the fact that when anybody. Ruby, you that? Used to be those voices were only in my head. <laughs> anxiety has been something that I've fought my whole life, fear and anxiety. There are reasons for that, but regardless of the origin, that's just been something that's ever been in front of me. And interestingly, after about a two-year-long fight with the Lord, I finally submitted and entered the ministry. Philippians 4 was the very first sermon that I ever preached. And that was because... That was right in front of me all the time, and that was a huge key for me. Because the Lord basically said, look, you can do something about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you can't help this is where you are. This is where you are. Right. But here's what you can do. You can pray. You can give thanks. And to your point about reminding the Lord of His promises, just prayer. Mm -hmm. Who's prayer for? I mean, the Bible clearly says we never inform God about anything. Right. He already knows. Yeah. It's for us. Yeah. But I do believe what you said. Not only will things change, like ne things never don't change when you pray. Things already have changed mm -hmm. when you pray. That's a positive decision yeah. that you make. And it has the effect of supplanting whatever was there. So it's like... You find your fill of God, say, you're a vessel. You have an amount of joy and peace. God, the Holy Spirit, mind of Christ. We deal with the flesh. Circumstances change. And here we are just draining that, draining it, draining it, right? What do you do? We'll fill it back up. Just like the widow and her vessels. How much oil is there? Well, how many vessels do you have? There's more. It'll never run out. So I find this powerful, and I do it, I say, like shampoo, lather, rinse, and repeat. Because, like the first scripture that we started with, where he says, pray without ceasing, it doesn't mean that you're never not praying. There are times where you're not praying. But it means that you're always repeating that. You always keep doing it. 
and joy is the same. Like, if you look at Jesus, it was the joy that was set before him that allowed him to suffer the way that he did, which is why we're alive and have hope or anything. But when you look at him in the garden, joy is not what you see coming out of him. You see him saying, I feel like I'm going to die. My body is literally breaking. But interestingly, and this became, let's say, something that was a condemnation for me, that I felt like I should have more joy, especially in the middle of very difficult things. And the devil would just poke me with that. And I didn't know what to do. I'm like, well, I'm doing the very best that I can. So looking into joy a little bit more closely, it is very closely connected to giving thanks, just a thankful attitude. It doesn't mean that you're bubbly. You can be joyful while you're bleeding, while you're weak, while you're a quiver in the bed, exhausted. You can be joyful. You know how you do that? You do it like Paul in the stocks, you know, by giving thanks like Jehoshaphat. You know, if his feelings didn't change or like you mentioned, when you take the loaves and the fishes and you go out, well, the reason that rings for me is, isn't that what we do every day? You know, the songs are instructed for that, because that's happened to me a lot. It's like, I don't really know what joy means, because it sounds kind of like happiness. It sounds like you should be bubbling over with some overflowing joy. But the Psalms highlight what it's like to pray in real circumstances and be tormented and in anguish. But to, at some point in the prayer, turn your attention to not these circumstances, but Lord, this is what you have said. I will give you thanks. I will praise your name. Despite all these things I'm feeling, like they go hand in hand. And I think that's what it looks like. Like that is the pattern that we have, just like Jesus, just like the psalmist. Um, just not to be confused about what joy necessarily means. Well, was, you remember in Nehemiah when... Uh, they had found the book of the law and they're reading it and everyone's weeping and everything because they see how far they are from what God had intended. You know, there's all these wonderful promises and then they see where they're at. They've been slaves, you know, most of them grew up not even knowing what it was like uh, to be a nation under God. And so uh, when the, you know, the priest saw them, what they said was, is don't weep. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So it makes sense to me that it's, it's, it's not a, a like, in a, you're not like oblivious to the problems or pain of the moment, but uh, you have a greater awareness of God's intervention. They knew God actually wants to bless you. He wants, to, he wants you to celebrate. He wants to, you know, bestow... Uh, his favor on you and uh, that's that's beyond like a feeling you know what I mean it's it's a it's a it's a recognition of like yes I know that uh, there are these problems but I also know the Lord's near and I know every intention of everything that he does with me is only good ever so and I also know he, he wants to answer he wants to deliver he wants um, he wants to get uh, as much glory out of it as possible. And, um, yeah, it's helpful to me to understand it not as an either or. 
you experience the pain. I mean, it will change the way you feel. Of course it does. But, but again, it's like you're not waiting to feel something. Um, and you don't have to feel it in order for it to be like legitimate joy. Yeah, I'm saying like, we're, for instance, the command, fear not. And yet, how many times do we see when people are talking about exactly. they're afraid? Yeah. So that's a place that you will visit, but make sure you're just visiting. Like when you become aware of it, then you move into prayer and thanks. And then if you move that, and I don't know how this is with all of your experience. This is how it works for me, working that out. I'm afraid. I pray. It reminds me of who God is. He's powerful. He loves me. He's doing something good. I can't see it. I don't have to. And then I get a little bit of a reprieve, and then the situation is back in my face, and the fear returns. What do I do? Follow the same steps. Well, at some juncture, one thing will overwhelm the other thing. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's sort of how that works, it seems to me. That's the pressing through part. You know, you just keep on doing it. And looking back, not in those moments, you know, the darkest moments that I can think of in my life, it's not as if it was an instantaneous change. But I see what the Lord did with the moments of my greatest anguish. And I guess it's like childbirth. I keep bringing that up because the Lord used it and it seems right. The intense agony just fades into the point you don't even remember it. Why? The joy of this life. And it just goes on and on and on. But I just wanted to share that. I thought that was probably the most powerful thing ever in my life. Just the act of giving thanks. And keeping my brain on what is true forever. And then when I find that anything else is encroaching on that territory, just do it again and keep on doing it. there is anything else, we'll go ahead and ask the blessing and eat together. Big pray please. Father, we thank you so much for your blessings today, Lord. We ask that you bless this to seven. You know, we are doing